Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 11. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 11. We'll go through Hebrews 6, uh, verse number 12, I believe. Let's read Hebrews chapter 5. As is our custom, let's stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 11. This is how it reads. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Chapter 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on him produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Today, we embark on the last installment of this short mini-series that we've called Learn of Christ. Being a learner of Christ is the second mark here at the British Church of a fully devoted follower of Christ. And we've said that learning is part and parcel of being a disciple of Christ. By definition, a disciple is a learner. Friends, you simply cannot be a disciple of Christ and not learn of Christ. And today, 
In our text, we are going to see that learning of Christ is the expectation of every believer. Look with me, if you will, in these few verses, beginning in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, begins with a criticism of this church by the author. The first thing we see is a criticism of the church. And the criticism of this, these readers from its author is this. You are spiritually immature. This, this began, this criticism is of the readers of this epistle is that they are spiritually immature. They are spiritual infants. He says, by now they should have grown and developed beyond their infancy. By now, they should have been spiritual adults. And he tells us here right out the gate the cause of their spiritual immaturity. It's right here in verse 11. He says in verse 11 that they, he, they had become dull of hearing. Look with me. In verse 11, he says, he starts out by saying, I've got so much more to say to you. I, I want to tell you more about what I just wrote to you about. In the prior section, the author had been explaining to them about the priestly office of Jesus Christ and how Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, who was an Old Testament priest. He, the author had already told his readers that Jesus was a sympathetic high priest and could identify with every one of their weaknesses. And he wants to tell them more about Jesus the priest. But he says it's hard to explain to you. And the reason it's hard to explain because you're dull of hearing. That word dull means sluggish, lazy, negligent. They were lazy listeners. And he doesn't tell us specifically why they had become dull of hearing, why they had become lazy listeners, but I can just imagine some of the reasons that they had become dull of hearing after pastoring for these last few years. Maybe, just maybe, it was because they were preoccupied with other things such as business, work, home life, politics, and the like. Maybe they had allowed these things of the world to distract them from the deeper things of God. Maybe the reason they had become dull of hearing was because they, they felt like advanced theological learning was unnecessary and too deep for them. Maybe they had become lazy listeners because they just have become complacent with being spiritually immature Christians. They didn't want to put in the hard work of reading and studying. They didn't want to discipline themselves to grow in their faith. Maybe, maybe they had become dull of hearing because they had determined that doctrine is unnecessary, that doctrine divides rather than unites. Not realizing that if we don't know right doctrine, we can't fully worship the God that we are called to worship. 
Maybe that maybe those are some of the reasons. We don't know, but we can be we can be suspicious here. Whatever the reason was, the author says they had become dull of hearing. And the, their dull hearing, their lazy listening was the source of their spiritual immaturity. Their, their dull hearing had stunted their spiritual growth. They had a laissez-faire attitude with learning of Christ. That was the cause. Then he says, let me give you some evidence that you are spiritually immature. So he moves from the cause to the corroboration of his claim. He says, it's, it's, it's evident in two ways, in two areas of your life. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. He, he says, you've been Christians long enough now that I can have a reasonable expectation that you would be able to teach others the doctrines and duties of the Christian life. They had likely sat under his apostolic, uh, under apostolic teaching for years, yet they were doing nothing with what they were learning. They, instead of being able to teach others, they themselves, after years, needed to be taught the ABCs of Christianity. The author says this is one sign of spiritual immaturity. Unless we think this problem is isolated to these readers here in the, the, uh, of Hebrews, this is also a necessary rebuke for the church today. Too many people have been Christians for years but are not teaching or discipling anyone else at all. Ooh, you better say amen or you're going to sound guilty. If the author of Hebrews were here today, I think he would say to some, you've participated in way too many Bible studies to not be teaching others to, to how to study the Bible yourself. If this author were here today, I think he would say something like, you've been in church for enough years that by now you ought to be discipling somebody one-on-one. For some, he might say that you've been in enough Sunday school classes that by now you ought to be teaching your own Sunday school class. For some, he might say that you've heard enough sermons that by now you ought to be able to at least lead your own small group. Friends, we need to hear this today. For way too many of us, we are, we've settled for just being knowledge dumps. All we want is more information, more information, and we check this off our Christian checklist, not realizing that the goal of the spiritual life is spiritual maturity. Friends, this text teaches us that the reasons, maybe the reason some of us are not teaching, discipling, mentoring others in the faith is because you have become dull of hearing. You're not actively listening to what is being taught. You, 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 let's say, are present in the body but absent in the mind. So this is the first proof of evidence of their spiritual immaturity. They should have been teachers by now, but they were not. 
But before I move on to the second piece of evidence, I think it's important for us to realize that we learn of Christ in order to teach others about Christ. You learn of Christ so that you can help others learn of Christ. That's not just clear here in in our text today, but the Lord Jesus himself make this clear. Before he's getting ready to send back to the Father and go to heaven, here are the marching orders that we get from the king himself. Go therefore and make disciples, learners, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Here's the second part, teaching them to obey. That's the word from our Lord. You ought to be learning so that you can pass that learning on to others. So that's the first proof, first piece of corroboration of their spiritual immaturity. But then there's a second one. The second proof of their spiritual immaturity is that they needed to be fed spiritual milk rather than solid food. And the author says, I know you need milk and not solid food based off the fruit I see or rather the fruit I don't see in your life. Look, verse 13, he says that, that, that the, the, those who need milk are unskilled in the word of righteousness. Essentially, church, he's saying you don't know right from wrong. To be unskilled is to lack the capacity. They, they didn't even have the capacity to know right from wrong because they were children, babies, infants in the faith. Infants, they don't know right from wrong. They have to be taught right from wrong. He says, but that, that, that ought not be the case from you. You, 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 you ought to, we ought to be beyond the basics by now. But yet instead, I'm still having to tell you, don't touch a hot stove. You, you ought to be beyond that by now. This author goes on to essentially say that because you don't know right, you don't do right. That's verse 14. He says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. If they were mature, they would have had the ability to make moral decisions based on their training or learning. But yet, they had not yet progressed to this point. They didn't even know how to discern good from evil. Those are the two pieces of corroboration that he gives for his claim or his criticism that they were spiritually immature. That's the first part. That's the criticism. He moves now in chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, from the criticism to a new point here in chapter 6. We move from the criticism to the correction. Here's the correction for your problem. Verse number 1, he says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. This author refuses to let them stay like they currently are. He will not be satisfied with their spiritual immaturity, and neither should they. Beloved, our problem today in the church is that way too many of us are satisfied and content with our state of spiritual immaturity. And the author tells them and us that spiritual immaturity is not good enough. 
It is insufficient. So the first thing they need to do is make a clean break, or, or, or rather, they need to leave behind the elementary doctrine of Christ. Now, let me make something very clear. He's not saying leave it behind because it's unimportant. No, 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 no. Christ is the foundation. His death, burial, and resurrection, that's the foundation on which everything else has to stand. He, he said, no, you, I, you need that, and I want you to have that, but we got to move. It's been years now. I need to be able to build on that. And they had settled for just the foundation. And he says, now we've got to leave the basics. We've got to leave the ABCs. Let's start putting some of those letters together and make words. He says, there's so much more to learn. And, and as you learn it, it will transform your mind and your conduct. So refuse to settle for immaturity. Leave behind that way of thinking. Stop being dull of hearing. In other, so he wants them to leave that and turn to something else. Leave behind the elementary doctrines. And here's what I want you to do. Go on to maturity. He wants them to press on towards spiritual maturity. And beloved, what I want us to get today is that that is the goal, the aim, and the expectation of the spiritual life. You are called to grow up in Christ. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 28. He says, him, Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That was Paul's aim in his ministry, was to present, to show forth everyone mature in Christ. And friends, that is the goal of the Christian life, is spiritual maturity. So who here, 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 is a word for us this morning. It's very simple, but we need to hear it. It's time to grow up. Church, it is time to grow up. The call for my text is to press on to spiritual maturity. Now, how do we know that we're pressing on towards spiritual maturity? The text tells us we're learning. We're teaching others. We're more discerning about good and evil. And as we are more discerning about good and evil, we end up displaying then the fruit of the Spirit. Church, the time for complacency and having a lackluster attitude toward the Bible, doctrine, and theology is up. It's time to grow up. Now, I want us to understand, to make sure that we're clear about the standard that we should use to determining what uh, spiritual maturity looks like. I forgot to give our tech people these verses, but try to hang with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he, and, I, and he gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints 
for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, what does that look like? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The standard by which we measure spiritual maturity is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I know you may be like, preacher, that's basic in and of itself. But really, we need to hear that because too many of us compare our walk, our Christian walk, with other Christians. Friends, the standard for spiritual maturity is not a pope, a pastor, your parents. The standard is not for somebody in your small group. The standard is Jesus Christ himself. How do I know I'm starting to reach spiritual maturity? I start to talk like Christ, look like Christ, walk like Christ, think like Christ, talk like Christ, believe like Christ, give like Christ, serve like Christ. That's how you know you're moving towards spiritual maturity. Your pastor can't be your standard. Now, he ought to be an example of spiritual immaturity. I mean, oh no, <laughs> no, I mean, that's not what I meant. Uh, take it back, take it back, take it back, take it back, take it back. <laughs> he ought to be an example of spiritual maturity, but he ain't the standard. Jesus Christ himself is the standard. Lord, 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 I, I'm, I'm trying to see if I'm spiritually mature. Do I love like Jesus loved? And, by the, and, 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 and the thing about it is, see, the thing that's easy is, he was like, this is what the Pharisees do. They love people that love them back. But Jesus says, love, Christian love, is love even for your enemies. And an enemy in, in scripture is a hater. Can you love your haters? See, now we're going towards spiritual maturity. I'm doing my best. As we look back to Ephesians, even chapter 4, verse 14, he says that we want to be spiritually mature so that we may no longer be children. There's that language again. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we ought to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Spiritual maturity says, I, I, I have a sense, even in my mind, to know when, I, when I'm hearing something from this famous preacher, I know, mm -mm, that don't sound right. That ain't Bible. That ain't gospel. That's therapy, which is good. But that's not what the preaching is for. We, we ought to be able to, to, to not be tossed to and fro by everything. Just I've told you this before and I'll tell you again. Everything that sounds good ain't good and sound. You, you got to be growing up to be able to discern the two. So Christ here is the standard. Mature Christians, Ephesians 4, 4 things that speak the truth in love. All right. As we turn now back to Hebrews, he says, 
I want you to press on toward maturity. And he says the reason you've got to press on toward maturity, the reason this is, is so important is because there's a great risk of remaining spiritually immature. There's a great risk in remaining spiritually immature. Look at with me at verses 4 through 8. Back in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, he says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Friends, the author's concern is that when you, if you remain spiritually immature, there is a great risk, a great danger that you will fall away. He, what, what, he, what he is concerned about, he's saying if, if you remain spiritually immature, my concern for you is that you will not persevere until the end. He says, I, 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 my concern for you, the risk of remaining spiritually immature is that you will commit apostasy, which means that you turn away from God, that you abandon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, this is a great risk. And it's a great risk because if you fall away, the text says it is impossible to be restored again to repentance. Friends, let me show you from a couple of verses here in Hebrews that, that, that the, this idea of drifting and falling away is a concern. And when he's, what he's referring to here is perseverance, not remaining with the Lord all the way into the end. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, there's a hearing, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with their generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Here it is, leading you to fall away from the living God. Falling away, church, is the great danger. It's a great danger because, again, it is impossible to be restored again to repentance. Why is it impossible? Not because God doesn't have the power, but God says, I'm refusing to restore you. I am going to allow your firm decision, allow your firm decision to stand. And he lets it stand because in their decision to turn on God, they show contempt for the work of Christ. Look at verse 6. He says, this is how horrific and heinous falling away is. He says, when you do that, you are crucifying once again the Son of God. You, you, once again, you are saying, Jesus, I need, you, you, you got to suffer and you got to die all on my behalf. And notice the title that he uses here, the author uses for Jesus. He, early he had called him the Christ, but now he calls him the Son of God. 
This, the author heightens the enormity of their crime. This ain't just anybody. This is God's son. So when you fall away from the faith, you re-crucify Christ. And you have no portion in God's saving grace. Turning away from the faith is a grave danger and comes at a high cost. Now, now half of you haven't said amen yet because you've been arguing with me in your head for the last five minutes. <laughs> Pastor, what you are saying seems to be inconsistent with our conviction of the eternal security of the believer. Woo, I like thinking, folks. It, this seems inconsistent with our conviction of once saved, always saved. I, let me see here. The author of Hebrews in this epistle has been writing, he has written this to exhort his readers to persevere in the faith until the end. What he wants them to do, what you have to understand is he is writing this in a context where his readers are experiencing persecution. And chapter 10 says they've grown weary. They, they, they don't want to endure anymore because of what they are suffering and, and experiencing. And this author says, I'm writing you to, so that you will hold on to God's unchanging hand. That you, that, that you won't give up, that you won't give out, that you won't give in. That's why I want you, and I, I want you to hold on all the way until the end. The, the purpose of this letter is perseverance. Yeah. Uh, let me show it to you. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. Here it is. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, then in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. Here's the condition. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Friends, what we see here in these couple of verses is the author is exhorting his readers to remain firm in the faith until the end. This author is essentially saying that true believers do indeed persevere until the end. If someone doesn't persevere until the end, then it is likely that they were never a true believer. Their apostasy, their falling away is proof that they were not indeed true believers. Thus, I believe our text is consistent with the doctrine of the eternal security of the believer. Those who are true followers of Christ, those who are true believers will persevere until the end. And so his call to them and to us is to persevere. Hang on in there. But if you don't, he says, the text says, God will let your rejection of Christ stand. You will not have the opportunity to repent. So spiritual immaturity comes at a great risk. So he's given them this great risk, given them this sour news that they fall away. It is impossible to be renewed to repentance, but he doesn't leave them there. 
He moves from the risk of immaturity to the reassurance of their faith. The author says that he doesn't believe this to be the case with his readers. He doesn't believe that they will fall away. Verse 9 says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, here's the case for his readers, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. The author says, I am sure, we are sure that you will be saved in the end because we serve a just God and he will be fair. He won't overlook some of the fruit in your life the fruit of your work, the fruit of your love, which give evidence that God is in you, God is working in you, and God will indeed preserve them until the end. That's the reassurance. But then finally, here, as we get out of here, he has a request, a desire. Verse 11, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The desire of those who are sending this letter is that, that, that these readers will be earnest, that they will be committed to persevering. He says, the same way you were committed in doing your works prior, the same way you were committed to showing love in the name of God, I want you to be that committed and persevering. I want you to be that committed and enduring your persecution. Be committed to this. And if you are committed, you will show. He wants them to be committed to persevering so that they won't be sluggish dull anymore. A lack of commitment leads to spiritual sluggishness, laziness, and neglect. The request is be committed. And they should be committed not only to persevering, but, but to imitating the faith and patience of those who inherit the promises of God. Let me give you some application some take-home stuff, and then I'll be done. Friends, I think one thing that the author wants us to not do, he says, don't, uh, is to be dull of hearing. Don't be dull of hearing. Don't stop learning. Don't become sluggish in your learning. Keep on learning. Get discipled. Find someone to disciple you. Keep learning. Read your Bible, read books, listen to sermons, talk to others, meet with other Christians. Don't be dull of hearing. Secondly, teach others. Give away what you have learned and continue to learn. Pass it on. Pass it on to your children. Pass it on to your church family. Pass it on to neighbors. Pass it on to your friends. You learn to help others learn of Christ. So teach others. One of the things that I would love to see 100% uh, participation in our church is everyone in some type of discipling relationship. 
That would make your pastor's heart smile. If I was, if everyone was discipling someone and being discipled by someone. We need, what we need in this church is, is, is much more, many more spiritual mothers and fathers. We need that in a church like ours where the, 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 the average age range is between 26 and 34. We all discipling each other in a bunch of ignorance right now because we don't know nothing. We don't have the experience. That's what I'm talking about. But there are people in this church who have more experience, who have been where we're trying to get to who have walked with Jesus, been through some tough stuff, some hard stuff, we need that from you. We need to know what perseverance looks like. We need to be able to imitate that. So friends, let's, let's, let's be serious about our discipleship. I want us also to press on to maturity. Friend, and press on to maturity I like this idea of this word of pressing on because it gives the sense of it takes work. It takes effort. It takes some training. It takes some discipline. And see, now somebody's getting uneasy in their chair because they think I'm, think, I'm preaching a works-based righteousness. I ain't say it takes some work to be saved. I'm saying it takes some work to grow up in your faith. That is consistent with scripture when it comes to our sanctification to becoming more like Christ. Here's what uh, the Paul, Paul says to the, to the Philippians. He says, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We are to work out what God has already started working in us. It, it, this is a cooperative effort. We, the, we're, we are working alongside the Holy Spirit who is working in us, uh, 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 leading us, guiding us, challenging us, and we are no, we're not resisting, but we're also putting in the work to kill sin in our life, to, 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 to have good spiritual disciplines like Bible reading and Bible studying and praying and fasting. And oh, Fasting, yeah, yeah, we don't do that one anymore. But I still think it works. Amen. Friends, it takes work because you've got to fight sin. Yeah, right. The old Puritan said, you better be killing sin or sin will be killing you. We got to press on toward maturity. We got to stop being so satisfied with spiritual infancy. We got to commit to growing up in the Lord. Finally, I, I want us to also to see that we need a strong faith. Because he says the risk we run is falling away. Friends, a fragile, fickle faith is dangerous. But a fully formed faith is solid. It perseveres. It endures. Those are some thoughts to get us started. I've done the teaching. Now it's time to obey. Church, come on, choir, you can come back. It is time for us to press on toward maturity. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's why 
That's why I work hard at this craft. That's why I preach. That's why I challenge. That's why I counsel you. So I can say like the Apostle Paul, my aim is to present you mature in Christ. And that's what you ought to want for yourself. That's what you ought to desire for yourself. Let's press on toward maturity. We got to keep learning. That is our calling. That has been the invitation from our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, how grateful we are for what our eyes have seen thus far. Our ears have heard, our hearts have felt. We have heard clearly from your word that spiritual immaturity is not where we are to remain, but we are to strive to press on towards maturity. So God, give us the grace to grow. Give us the strength the discipline to remain committed to become committed in some cases so that we can look more and become conformed to the image of Christ Lord help us to look more like Jesus in every area of our life God we need you we can't do this on our own we can't do it in our own power so we need your spirit to strengthen us. Help us, God, to be sensitive to the voice of the spirit, the leading of the spirit, the restraint of the spirit. Thank you for your word. We pray, God, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers as well. Father, now if there be some man, woman, boy, or girl in this room or on this street who has not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of sins. We pray, God, that they have heard through song or sermon or through scriptures or through the catechism that in order that they are sinners that need to be saved. And there is a Savior. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus died for their sins, was buried, and arose on the third day. And the promise that we have is that all who believe will have eternal life. So Spirit began to work Spirit began to, to convict, to convince, to convert. In the name of Jesus, amen.